The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. I'm John Ford. Here's what's ahead. From big tech to semis to social stocks and fang names, tech sell-off takes hold again today after making a stellar comeback in yesterday's session. We're going to dig into that wreckage. Plus, the shutdown of the Colonial Pipeline, already starting to cause pain at the pump. Prices in some areas hitting their highest level since 2014. We got the latest timeline on when oil may start flowing again. And as the country continues to reopen and consumers get together, could this be the summer of love for dating stocks? But we begin with today's markets and another tech sell-off. Dom Chu with the numbers, Dom. Don, no love for the bulls today in the trading realm. You can see there we are red across the board, and we're off about 450 points for the Dow Industrials. That's about one and one-third of a percent here. The S&P 500, 4,085, the last level there, off by about one and a half percent. And then about two-plus percent gains for the NASDAQ Composite. Now, you'll remember just about this time yesterday, we highlighted that at the lows, in yesterday's trading, the Nasdaq was down roughly two and a quarter percent. So at one point today, we were down a similar percentage amount there. We'll see if there's any kind of an inkling by traders to buy this particular dip. We saw it earlier yesterday, not seeing it so far today. One of the big drivers, the highest level for interest rates in months here. Now, if you take a look at the 10-year note yield, 1.69 percent the last trade there. We've had a bit of a mini breakout over the range that we've seen. So, again, the interest rate picture playing into some of that market narrative as well. Remember, when interest rates rise, valuations come into question. The assumptions change for some of those valuation-type models. Watch the 10-year note yield and other parts of the yield curve as well, especially around the five- to seven-year Treasury mark. And then that Treasury implication, possibly part of the theme overall for why we're seeing weakness in the technology or more richly valued parts of the market. Apple, the biggest company out there, off about 2%. Tesla is down about 2% right now. And then Zoom Video and DocuSign, both growth names that have become part of that momentum trade narrative we've been talking about since the pandemic lows. Each of those is off around 4% as well. So keep an eye on big tech and, of course, the emerging tech names as momentum trades and interest rates play out in this trade. John, back over to you. All right, Dom. Thank you. So is a decline in earnings quality, especially when it comes to tech, partly to blame for this sell-off? Joining me now is Bob Shea, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of TrimTabs Asset Management. Bob, uh, always hard to know what to make of moves like this when the market's been running so hot for so long. But how how concerned should we be, particularly given the earnings season we've just been through? Yeah. uh, Thank you, John. I I appreciate it. Um, You know, I don't think we're terribly uh, concerned uh, about this. I think, uh, you know, we were due for uh, a correction. And, um, you know, I think folks have been uh, hyper-focused uh, on inflation, uh, even though the, the Fed kind of telegraphed this, um, uh, you know, last year in the August uh, uh, Powell speech and into the September uh, policy decision where they were really mm. focused on maximizing employment. But with regards to, you know, earnings were a blowout. Um, as you know, and particularly on the the big mega cap uh, tech names, you know we at TrimTabs uh, we focus on uh, we manage a, a suite of uh, free cash flow investment strategies, 
uh, focusing on free cash flow, uh, profitability, and quality of earnings. Um, and for the big mega cap tech stocks, they blew their numbers out. Earnings were fantastic. Uh, cash flow growth was decent. Mm -hmm. um, however, uh, a minor red flag or a red flag for us was uh, a build in accruals, particularly for companies like Facebook, Amazon, and Tesla. Yeah. And for us, that just draws into question the sustainability. Of How that much, growth. though, do you think the whole market can can rely on those strong big tech earnings? We came into 2021 with some people concerned about the, the amount of the S&P, for example, that's made up of exactly those names. In the meantime, we had some of these other more speculative and hopeful names run up strong the beginning of the year. Now they've fallen off. I mean, m maybe their earnings number is not quite as strong and wholesome as those big tech ones, right? Yeah, I, I think so. And look, they've dominated uh, from uh, from you know uh, earnings for for some time, as well as the percentage of the market cap. Uh, there was definitely, you know, I th I think uh, part of this, you know, if you go back to the GameStop and and meme frenzy, taking down short interest in in a lot of the te tech and speculative names, um, hedging activity has been non-existent. Um, Ar uh, Archegos, uh, I think, might have had prime brokers pull in leverage and particularly mm. some hedge fund darlings, um, you know, might have been uh, having to uh, sell some of these names. So I, I think there's just a, a, a confluence of, of reasons for for the, you know, the selling uh, today in the last several days, uh, inflation and inflation expectations, even though nominal rates are, you know, just pushing back up to where we were, few, you know, several weeks ago at 170. So how healthy is this market then, do you think? And I mean not just, you know, the market itself, but the psychology around it. You mentioned maybe the, the damage to shorts <laughs> after what happened yeah. with GameStop earlier. You know, in a well-functioning market, you, should, you, you could argue that there should be a healthy amount, uh, a healthy amount of short interest. I, I agree. I think uh, short interest is future demand. Um, I think that definitely, you mm. know, accounts for Got some of... But I've got to get you to hold on there for a moment. Uh, we've got some breaking news. We've got to pivot to the bond market. 10-year uh, bonds up for auction. Rick Santelli tracking that action at the CME. What's the demand look like, Rick? John, the demand was stellar. I mean, do remember, though, that we've had a really decent-sized sell-off the last 36 hours, pushing yields higher. So buyers have a bit of an incentive, and that incentive was used today. A minus, Apple minus, for 41 billion 10-year notes, the second part of a package of 126 billion of threes, tens, and thirties, the yield at the Dutch auction, 1.684. The when issued market was trading on the high yield low price at the time at 1.695, a whole basis point lower price. Lower yield, higher price. That's part of the reason for the A-. minus. But boy, everything you look at is good. 2.45 bid to cover the best since January of this year. 63.4 on indirects. We like indirects. It's probably those foreigners we're also interested in coming into our auctions. That's the best since August of 20. And 17.1 on directs like pensions and hedge funds. That's strong above average. But the, by far the definitive number today, 19.5 on dealers. And, you know, dealers usually take the leftovers after all the investors are done. So the smaller the leftovers, the more they like the meal. 
19.5 is the lowest amount dealers have taken since the spring of 2017, a stellar auction. Tomorrow, of course, we do the longest maturity, 27 billion, 30-year bonds. John, back to you. All right, Rick, thanks. Now, Bob, that's an A- minus from Rick with the NASDAQ down nearly 2%. What do you make of it? Yeah, listen, um, t- typically, uh, you know, lower yields, a, a strong auction would be support for the big uh, tech names as they are, you know, viewed as long duration assets. So uh, I, it, it should help. That being said, you know, uh, Monday sell off and, and some of the the selling we've seen have not really taken place with uh, uh, nominal yields really, you know, th- that strong. I mean, we've had a, there's been a lot much ado about hmm. about rates and inflation. Um, and certainly that's uh, played out in, in break evens. Uh, but listen, I think this should be calming, uh, all else being equal. We had a very high put call yesterday. But that being said, it was months of lack of hedging, months of short interest being taken out of this market, uh, months of kind of one-sided sentiment um, that, uh, you know, stocks and uh, only go up. But you asked uh, earlier, did I think this was healthy? Yes, I think this is healthy. And I think it's even healthier that it's, uh, you know, that the broader market has sold off. Well, um, as a matter of fact, Friday we had you know, a third of the S&P make new highs and it pushed even to almost 40 percent on Monday. That kind of buying uh, or that kind of new high uh, uh, burst uh, typically is exhaustive. Well, maybe we want to feel a little trim and healthy heading into summer. Bob Shea of TrimTabs Asset Management. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the usual work from home suspects also in the red as this tech sell-off continues. Zoom, Cisco, DocuSign, Dell, all lower today, and it's been an ugly month for them, too. CrowdStrike lower by 8%. Zoom and DocuSign are down double digits. Twilio dropping more than 20%. Uh, Bank of America Security sees a robust future for these and other digital stocks, though. The firm highlighting names that are going to benefit from the rise of robo-sapiens, including some in sectors you might not have thought of, like health care. Uh, so here to discuss is Haim Israel head of global thematic investment strategies for Bank of America Global Research. Hey, good to have you. Um, so I, I think this is interesting, especially the work from home piece, because we have that trend running into the AI trend. And there are certain jobs that people are having difficulty working from home that are particularly at risk in the AI future, right? Yes, first of all, pleasure to be here, John. And uh, yes, we are heading into a world that uh, the job market is going to be disrupted. It uh, started before COVID. COVID have accelerated the trend. And I think now because of the acceleration of technology that is every, dominate every part of our life, things from here onward are just going to happen faster and faster. And we believe that automation, robotics, technology is going to be a big part of the new job market. We do not believe this is actually going to be a bad thing. We believe it's going to be a good thing. We believe, like we've seen with any other technological um, revolution, that this is going to be a creative to the job market, not disruptive. So we believe what we call homo sapiens or robo sapiens is that um, men and machines are going to work together in this new market. Now, I take from your report, though, Haim, that... This is not an all or nothing thing, and there are differences geographically in how this is going to play out. So take the real estate market, for example. There have been some assumptions that commercial real estate could get blown up by this because people aren't going back to the office. Not entirely true. In what cases do you think they will? 
Well, I think that it's all going to be a, ba a balanced thing. So, yes, we believe that the work from home is here to stay in some areas, um, and we're going to see more. We're going to see less and less demand for office space for some kind of real estate uh, in in the work market. Uh, at the same time, and that's of course going to have a big impact on, on commercial real estate as well, especially in key cities when you don't need to pay those very expensive rates and so on. However, we need to remember that that has a negative, that has a positive effect on other sides of real estate, so residential at, at suburbs area, or in or industrial real estate, or or data centers and commercial real and commercial real estates around uh, around warehouses and so on. So there's always a balance that we need to see here, but. We believe that working from home is here to stay. Automation is definitely here to stay. Uh, people will work. People will work even more, and, in new, and more jobs will be created, but they're going to change. Now, Haim, if you are right, then I look at stocks like Zoom, DoorDash, and Twilio, which have really gotten hit well off of their 52-week highs, in some cases cut in half. Uh, where's the right level to get into these, perhaps, or how should investors think about that? Because you seem to be saying with this flexible future, these are exactly the kinds of companies that could benefit. Well, we have a, in thematic world, we have a five-year view, and we believe that those, as exactly you said, those companies are going to gain. Uh, we will see more and more demand. The demand that we've seen during the COVID crisis was an overshooting. Remember that at one point last year, 85% of the world GDP was working from home. Or, uh, or completely offline. So there was an overshooting, but the COVID crisis have accelerated the trends that were already there. Zoom is not gonna go away. Tele, uh, no, all those uh, remote accesses are, are not gonna go away. There could be a balance, there was an overshooting, but when we believe, when we look at the long term and we look at the job market in the future, and we believe that actually um, uh, the combination between robots and humans will create more than 12 million new jobs, this is here to stay. So investors should make their uh, adjustment where exactly is the bu right buying opportunities. But we are big believers in the long term. Now, how does healthcare play into this? I mean, telehealth was uh, a big theme during the pandemic and the importance of having the, the right number of healthcare workers as well. What's the play for investors there? Well, actually, when we look at the new job market and, and we think about which occupations are going to be the number one demand going forward, the two first ones are actually coming from the renewable energy industry. And number three to number nine are actually coming from the healthcare industry or what we call the care economy, the pink color, which will replace the blue and the white colors. Um, why we think that's going to happen? First of all, because the COVID crisis put a mirror in front of our face, understanding there is massive demand and the healthcare market needs to be revolutionized completely. Uh, we will need more and more that machinery still cannot uh, uh, replace us fully. There's still a big, a big demand for the empathy market and the healthcare market is, is part of it. Plus, this is a market which is going to enjoy from the automation level going forward. I don't necessarily need to go to the doctor all the time. I have a lot of technologies around me that can spot my, my signals all the time, 24-7. And we believe that's actually going to be a big boost to the healthcare market and not a decline. Yeah. Software's got a long way to go in the empathy department. Whenever my computer doesn't boot, it fails to apologize. Hi, I'm Israel. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. Coming up, Disney shares might have been quiet as a mouse so far this year, but my next guest says that's about to change. He'll make the case next. Plus, from pain at the pump to problems at the ports, a closer look at America's supply issues. The exchange is back in two. 
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. Disney is set to report earnings tomorrow after the bell. The company having a stellar few months, especially thanks to Disney+, Plus, but shares are flat for the year. Morgan Stanley thinks this could be a good sign, saying in a note that Disney is, quote, quiet as a mouse for now, but that it has a bullish trifecta in its future, parks, sports, and a strong content cycle. Joining us now is Ben Swinburne, head of U.S. media research at Morgan Stanley. Uh, Ben, I guess the bear side of this would be, hey, the stock ran in anticipation of the opening that we're about to see now. And stuff like the Avengers and Robert Downey Jr., Chris, that stuff is done. Yeah, the TV stuff is done pretty well, but we don't really know what's next for a lot of these franchises. Why is that wrong? Well, look, I think if you look across media, um, the great stocks of the second half of last year, a lot of the reopening and, and a lot of the streaming you know, winners, look at Netflix as an example, they've underperformed or in the case of Disney just haven't done a whole lot. And, you know, that's not a huge surprise given the rotation in the market that we've seen, but no stock benefits from a content cycle like Disney has. I mean, just think back to when frozen came out all the way back in 2013 and how much that drove outperformance over the subsequent couple of years. And we are shifting now from an earnings model from selling tickets and generating, uh, you know, revenues over a relatively finite period of time to building a streaming asset wrapped around all this IP. And so while the market's focused on parks, which makes sense, um, and focused on direct-to-consumer, what I see coming on the content side over the next 12 to 18 months is pretty powerful and I think could be a real catalyst for the stock. Ben, are there questions now about how Disney will be run for the next five years? Because we have the CEO transition Right as the pandemic was happening, the former head of Parks is now the CEO. The guy who was running Plus is now out. And, you know, to what degree does Disney need to show or prove anything about the way it shepherds films and kind of creates the right kind of flywheel around its brands going forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think I guess I'd make two points. You know, one, on the content side, you know, a lot of the key people who run their, their studio businesses are still there. Kevin Feige, for example, at Marvel, um, you know, Kathleen Kennedy at Lucas. So I think and we have Bob Iger still involved uh, on the content side as well. So I think the content creative side of the business is in great hands. And then when it comes to to uh, to Bob Chapik and sort of his track record, obviously, we've had to watch this all happen through COVID. So it's hard to measure. But I would make a, a strong case that the Monday night football renewal that Disney uh, recently announced with the NFL was a significant uh, success point for the new management team 
um, in actually lowering the expenses relative to what we thought, improving the quality of the games, securing some Super Bowls, and creating an opportunity to put some of that content on ESPN+. Plus. So, so far, we're pretty happy with what we're seeing on that front. Over the next year or two, what do you expect the stock to really move on? Is it going to be kind of this Disney Plus versus Netflix direct-to-consumer um, narrative, even wrapping sports into that? Or is it going to go back more to fundamentals, considering not just that, but also how the parks are run, uh, the, the profitability there, some of the ways perhaps that they're able to extend that direct-to-consumer relationship beyond digital into some of the other uh, revenue streams? Yeah. I think you said it up well. I mean, look, this is a company that should grow earnings from not a whole lot this year uh, to 8 to $10 by 2024. So it's a massive earnings kager, and that's coming from direct-to-consumer ramping, from parks reopening, and now we have a little less pressure on the sports cost side. But the big bull case, which is still you know, probably a couple years away, uh, is how does Disney as a service em- emerge with all these direct-to-consumer relationships. I mean, if they hit their targets, you're talking about 300 million plus direct relationships with an internet connection, uh, real engagement, and how does that make Disney the company more successful, more profitable than than the collection of the businesses that we've been tracking all these years? Now, you do point out some risks to the bullish case and some of that involving uh, pressures, um, you know, economic COVID economic pressures in Latin America and India. What's yeah. the, the next big test that your bull case sort of has to pass or Disney has to pass in order for your bull case to show that it's winning out? Yeah, I, I think on the India Latin America points, again, you know, part of why the stock's been quiet as a mouse is we saw with Netflix, even a little bit with Spotify, that uh, Latin America uh, and India are in a tough spot. And these are markets that are expected to be big growth drivers for streaming. Um, if anything, the situation in those markets has gotten worse uh, over the last month or so. So near term, there's clearly some risk around those markets in terms of streaming that ads for everybody, including Disney. Um, you know, I think the big test is always content with this company. I mean, they've put the management structure in place. They've proven they can run a streaming business. But Disney is all about the content. And if they can show that Marvel and Star Wars um, and Disney live action and the princesses continue to resonate with consumers and drive consumer spending, you know, that's the key. And we'll, we'll get some of those tests very soon. We got Cruella coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, followed by Black Widow, we think, uh, later this summer, and then on to a pretty uh, massive slate starting in September through all the way through the end of 22. Yeah, I hear you on Marvel and Star Wars. My boys love what they're doing with the Bad Batch and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. But how will that translate? Will that translate to the bid screen? We will see. Ben Swinburne uh, from Morgan Stanley. Thanks. And coming up from getting in shape to shapewear, we look at the companies that might have a leg up in the reopening, including this stock up nearly 40 percent in a week. That names ahead. Plus, cloud and cybersecurity stocks lower today. The ETFs that track both sectors down double digits in the past three months. Good time to buy or should you stay clear? And don't forget, you can watch us live on the go using the CNBC app. The Exchange, be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to The Exchange. Markets right now showing a lot of red major indices heading back toward the lows. Dow was down 503 points at the low. The Nasdaq down 2.5% at its lows. And now the Sun Conference is underway, bringing together hedge fund heavy hitters. Glenview Capital's Larry Robbins speaking right now. Let's bring in Leslie Picker with some of the headlines so far. Leslie, what's going on? Hey, John. So Larry is a frequent speaker at Sone. Uh, once again this year, he is offering a slew of picks uh, for those who are in attendance. And we're going to bring you some of them here. Uh, his first pick that he had was DXC Technology. He believes that's a triple for the long term, worth $105 per share. Uh, you can see it's currently trading at about $34 per share. He didn't de- define what the long term is, but he does believe it has the ability to get there. Myriad Genetics is another pick of his, uh, ticker MYGN, Brookdale Senior Living, BKD McKesson, Walgreens. And then he talked about a, a variety of SPACs. And he, he said, interestingly, that uh, he knows that recently SPACs have become a four-letter word, um, but he doesn't think that all of them uh, should be thrown in the trash and that there are tremendous gems out there. He cited a few of those, including Tillman Fertitta's SPAC, FST, uh, as well as some other ones led by Fortress, uh, Toma Bravo, uh, as well as Butterfly Network. Um, now, he did take a minute to provide some kind of more macro comments on the state of the consumer. I want to give you a listen to, to some of those comments. The consumer is now flush thanks to uh, government stimulus, uh, as well as the inability to spend over the last 12 months. The consumer spent, saved $2.3 trillion above trend. We've added stimulus to that uh, on top of a normal 4% consumer spending baseline. We do believe that consumer spending can run double digits for the next three years, 10 11% mathematically. You can see there from his presentation, he included a picture of himself with his mom and noted that there's this human behavior, this sense of people wanting to reconnect to one another and, of course, spend some more money. John. (laughs) Well, yes, many of us can relate to that. Leslie Picker, thank you. And now to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update. Tyler. John, thank you very much. As the military conflict between Israel and Hamas continues to escalate, a high-rise building on a busy shopping street in Gaza has been leveled by two bombs dropped by Israeli fighter jets. It was the headquarters of a Hamas satellite channel and also housed other businesses. President Biden's two-hour get-together with congressional leaders from both parties has ended. While Republicans vow they won't abandon the Trump tax cuts, they say it was a positive meeting and they are willing to make a deal. There is certainly a a bipartisan desire uh, to get an outcome. Uh, clearly, uh, Senate Republicans are not interested in revisiting the 2017 tax bill. I think the president and the vice president understand that. And before that meeting, the uh, Democrats' leader in the Senate did not hold back as he blasted House Republicans for removing Liz Cheney, a Republican from Wyoming, from a leadership post for continuing to criticize former President Trump's claims that the election was stolen from him. I'm not in the habit of commenting on the House Republican minority, but today they have reached a new and very dangerous low point. 
Republicans are seeking to perpetuate and act upon the big lie that the election was stolen, simply to placate the most dishonest president in American history. And John, back to you. Tyler, thank you. Now coming up, America's fighting a supply problem on multiple fronts. Our Jane Wells is in Quincy, Washington with a look at the port container crisis. And Frank Holland is in Noonan, Georgia, following the impact of the still shuttered colonial pipeline. Frank, people are feeling it at the pump, huh? John, absolutely. Gas prices have jumped eight cents over the last week, and there are outages all across the southeastern United States. Coming up, we're going to show you how people are responding to this issue and also how they say it's impacting their ability to get to work and also their personal lives. Now over to Jane Wells with more on another logistical issue that has nothing to do with fuel. Jane? Frank, I'm in a Star Ranch Apple facility in Quincy, Washington. Something is rotten at America's ports. Farmers can't get anyone to take their stuff. We will have that story when the exchange returns. Welcome back. America's supply problem isn't contained to just one sector or industry. And we've got team coverage looking at the issues facing suppliers across the country. Frank Holland is in Georgia with the latest on the gasoline shortage in parts of the southeast. Jane Wells is in Washington with the container crisis at shipping ports. Frank, we begin with you. This is nuts and bolts. If people and goods can't move freely, it's awfully hard for an economy to function. John, absolutely right. And here in the metro Atlanta area, about 60 percent of gas stations, they don't have any fuel as this colonial pipeline outage continues to hit the southeastern states especially hard. We're looking at a map right here. North Carolina, that's the hardest hit. More than a quarter of gas stations just don't have any fuel. Virginia, South Carolina, and Georgia seeing their numbers increase from this morning. Drivers here in the Atlanta area tell us they're scrambling to find fuel. And for some, like delivery drivers, even these temporary outages are very serious. The gas is in here, then I guess we're not gonna, we're not gonna have any work to do and no one's gonna be getting their, their merchandise. But you're also not going to get paid. I'll be out of a job. I only had about, I don't know, 35 miles, and I should have got it last night, but I didn't. And so this morning when I couldn't find it, I went back home. I got the app, and it showed that they had it, so I called to make sure, and then I headed here, and now I'm headed north. The huge spike in demand also leading to a big spike in prices that are now topping $3 a gallon nationally, increasing $0.08 cents over the last week. Diesel fuel increasing by more than four cents a gallon over the last week, and that could impact the trucking sector. Right now, we're at the pilot truck stock stop in suburban Atlanta. Uh, here, company leaders tell us this situation is deteriorating. They're very concerned about the air ability to get more fuel. You have to remember, 70% of everything that we buy in stores, it arrives there by truck. Big question, could this lead to higher prices or outages on shelves? Remains to be seen. Another question here is, even if this situation is resolved very quickly, how soon can we get the gas to the pumps? According to the trade group for, the, for truck drivers that deliver tr uh, fuel to different stations, about 25% of those trucks are idle because of a truck driver shortage. Just last year, that number was closer to about 10%. John, back over to you. Wow, Frank. Yeah, live lesson on inflation. Thank you. Now let's turn to Jane Wells for her details on the port container crisis. Jane. Hey, John, this Red Delicious apple at Star Ranch should be in Asia. Instead, it's in this freezing cold storage facility, a slowly rotting symbol of the cargo container crisis. Now, ports like Oakland, as you can see, are congested with ships bringing in imports, which Americans have been buying like crazy online during the pandemic. 
But ships are racing back to Asia empty to pick up more because that's actually more profitable now than hanging around to load up on exports. And farmers are having a hard time getting anyone to take their products. Schedules keep changing. Freight costs are skyrocketing. The CEO of the Port of Seattle says he's never seen anything like it. And listen to what happens if you can get your fruit on a boat. I had uh, four loads of apples arrive in Europe uh, on Friday. Normally, that's a 28 to a 30-day boat ride. At worst, it was 64 days. Are the apples still good? No. We're in our finishing facility here. Okay, now down in California, Jonathan Hoff is losing business. Uh, his almonds, or almonds as they call them, are missing their contracted delivery dates. He has truck containers sitting on his property, costing him a boatload of money, waiting until his ships finally come in. So traditionally, we would pay somewhere in the range of $250 to $350 to get a 40-foot container from Oakland into some port in Asia. What we hear right now is that the inbound rates that shipping lines are charging, those bringing goods into the states, are in the $5,000 per container range. Okay, so some ag groups are writing to the transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, hoping he can do something. As for U.S. consumers, uh, John, this apple meant for Asia could end up in our stores, but these aren't big sellers here. Back to you. Wow. Wow. Jane Wells, important reporting from you and from Frank Holland. Thank you. And now, dating stocks heat up. People look to shed some pounds as the economy reopens, and the billionaires are losing billions. All that and more in today's rapid fire. Let's take a quick look at the NASDAQ, down about 2.2%. Uh, semi-stocks among the worst performers right now. Applied Material, Marvell, Lamb Research, and Broadcom. The big cap names also moving lower. Microsoft leading those declines. The exchange is back after this. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar. It's time for Rapid Fire. Here to help break down the headlines, Julia Borston, Robert Frank, and Kate Rooney. First topic, analysts say beaten down dating apps, Match and Bumble, are headed for a summer of love as the economy reopens. Both stocks struggled as restrictions and social distancing put a major pinch on dating, but Match just beat on earnings while Stiefel expects strong results for Bumble today. Julia, you've been following this for us, and, I mean, is this a case of a of a different kind of pent-up demand? It's, it certainly, uh, it seems like pent-up demand, at least based on the numbers we saw out of Match, John. It'll be really interesting to see what Bumble reports here. And I think the key thing to watch is something that Stiefel also pointed to in his report, which is the number of people who aren't just using the free service, but that sign up to pay. How many new paying subscribers does Bumble get? That is going to be a key indicator of, of how much people really want to get out there and do this in-person dating and not just the video dating that they've been doing on these dating services during the pandemic. And Robert Frank, I mean, people are going to be on there looking for Bill and Melinda Gates, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, now that Mackenzie Scott is married, there's only one ex-billionaire wife out there. Um, but, but look, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, I remember when Whitney Wolf was on our air, uh, the CEO of Bumble, saying, this is back in February, that the pandemic was great for online dating because people had transferred their physical lives onto the virtual and digital, and this would be a permanent shift, and, and that the pandemic was actually a huge boost. Now they're making the opposite argument, saying, it's going to be great for dating sites because people will be back in person and mingling again. So maybe both could be true. 
But I do think that once people can get out there, they go to bars, they go to restaurants, they go to concerts, I just don't think they will be as reliant on these digital sites as they were during the pandemic. Kate, okay, maybe this means Coinbase won't remain number one in the app store. Maybe that's just <laughs> exactly. a, I can't go out thing and one of these dating apps will, will take the spot. They're calling it Moderna Girl Summer. I don't know if you've heard that term. Or Hot Vax Summer, <laughs> Pfizer Girl Summer. So a play on the Hot Girl Summer from Megan the Stallion. But a lot of excitement about getting out there. And Julia, uh, Whitney Wolf heard coming up uh, on Tech Check tomorrow. I mean, there's a lot riding on what's going to happen in this space. And there's more to Bumble the Stock than Bumble the App. Yes, it's not just Bumble. It's also Badoo, which is an app that we're not familiar with here in the U.S., but it is very big internationally. So we have to remember this is a two-app uh, company here. It's not just the namesake app Bumble. So we'll see how, how the, those two apps grow. Bumble is less mature, especially internationally, than Badoo is. And Bumble's the one that lets women make the first move. Badoo does have some features like that, but is it more of a traditional dating service? And Bumble's the fast grower, yes. All right, next. Add another wrinkle to the crypto craze. A new digital token called Internet Computer soared to a whopping $45 billion valuation just one day after its debut. That's likely due to its potential to disrupt the software industry. Internet Computer can reportedly help creators publish content online without having to go through cloud companies or Internet giants. Kate, help us understand this. Is, that, is this where we're going to find Donald <laughs> Trump next? Is Dogecoin in trouble? I can't believe I'm having to ask, what is Internet Computer? <laughs> Internet Computer is out of an episode of Silicon Valley, right? It's the perfect name. What's really happening here is people are looking to ride that wave that Ethereum has seen. That cryptocurrency hit a new all-time high. It's really been seen as the network that people are building things on. People are coming out of the woodwork. They're trying to make a competitor to Ethereum and sort of be that back-end provider. They call these projects because not, I mean, most of these are not live. You know, these really have not actually been used for anything, yet their prices have skyrocketed. This immediately within a week of launching is now one of the top 10 cryptocurrencies in the world. You just see so much excitement about things that are vaporware, to use an older tech term, but really these things aren't live. So yes, they want to compete with Ethereum. They're sort of marketing themselves as the next big software tech platform, but a lot of these aren't live. And the other thing, a lot of these are venture-backed. So yes, you're investing in the token. A lot of retail investors say, hey, I want to jump in the next big thing. What's the next Dogecoin or Ethereum? Yet a lot of the real money and the real wealth creation is happening in the private market. So it is sort of, you have two sides of this, but a lot of speculation going on recently. Uh, Robert, I, maybe they should have called it series of tubes. Are you buying internet computer? <laughs> no, what's, what's fascinating about this and what Kate just mentioned is that Bitcoin is now old money. I mean, you look at all of these altcoins, starting with Dogecoin and now internet computer, which is really a competitor to Ethereum because it's a new sort of smart contract play. And that sort of goes along with Polkadot, Binance, and all these other competitors. I mean, what, what investors in these coins really want is not so much legitimacy, but growth. And, that, and, and Bitcoin is stuck around 55, 60,000. All these other coins are taking off. I mean, this is the declining dominance of Bitcoin. And it's just fascinating to watch. Yeah. Well, I'm, that scares me. Chasing growth. 
uh, versus legitimacy. Next up, demand for shapewear. Think banks here. Uh, Weight loss services also booming as folks get ready for face-to-face interactions again. Maybe after they succeed on those dating apps. One of the biggest winners, Weight Watchers, shares are up more than 50% this year, reported better than expected results in the first quarter, thanks to people working to lose the quarantine 15. New study found that the average adult gained nearly two pounds per month during lockdowns. Um, you know, Julia, you're out there in L.A., which is, which is known for shapewear, for, for people being conscious uh, of their looks. Maybe, I mean, perfect timing for Oprah getting in like she did on this business. What do you think? Look, I would say California is known for its healthy lifestyle. So what to me is so interesting about all of these trends is they all fit together. People want to put on their best face. They want to take off the sweatpants, put on real clothes, maybe some spanks underneath them and get out into the real world, which, by the way, ties back to the dating conversation we just had. But I think that Weight Watchers, which, by the way, now goes by the name WW, is such a fascinating success story here because the pandemic really accelerated the shift from people wanting to go into in-person meetings to it being primarily a digital business and having this huge digital component. And that is a very profitable shift for WW now that they you know, can have higher margins there. They could reach many more people who maybe didn't have the flexibility to go into regular meetings. So a lot of potential there as they see the sort of the health trend, because WW is positioning itself more as a health company than a Weight Watcher, than a weight loss company, um, benefiting from the digital reach of everyone being stuck at home. You know, Kate Rooney, what, what annoys me is that WW is twice as many syllables to say as Weight Watchers. <laughs> exactly. That's an easier name, right? But I know, I, I think a lot of the reopening has caught some of us by surprise. I think whether it's things like rent the runway, retail, braces in some cases, you're seeing Smile Direct Club do pretty well as people want to straighten their teeth because things are reopening. But definitely a tailwind there. But I would agree with you, California, having moved out here pretty recently, it's uh, there's a lot more activity going on. But I'm with you. I'm uh, I'm definitely renewing my rent the runway subscriptions and I need to buy a lot of outfits. So it's probably yeah. helping some of those companies. Well, you're in Northern California. It's a different flavor of activity <laughs> than Southern California. Still. All right. Finally, exactly. the tech sell-off has been rough on investors, especially bad for billionaires. This recent NASDAQ slide erased more than a trillion dollars in shareholder wealth. Robert, which tech titans have gotten hit the hardest lately? We've got to start with Elon Musk. He is down $30 billion. Now, basically, just for some billionaire math, he's basically down a Steve Schwartzman or he's down two <laughs> David Teppers uh, in, in a short period of time. So that's kind of interesting. Um, and then if you look at uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, he's down about $3 billion for the year. So not so bad. But what's amazing about Jeff, Jeff Bezos, he has cashed out $6.5 billion dollars worth of Amazon shares just in May. Now, he does have a $500 million yacht he's got to build, so some of that will go to there, I'm assuming. Um, so, so, yes, these billionaires are getting less wealthy on paper, but they're also taking a lot of cash off the table. You look at Alex Karp. Uh, you look at Eric Yuan of Zoom. He took $6 billion off the table from Zoom stock to transfer into undisclosed recipients back in March. That was well-timed because, as we've seen, that stock is down. So, yes, they're down, but also interesting to keep an eye as we decline here more today and in the future. 
where the, these guys take money off the table. Now I just got an image of Elon Musk looking through his wallet for a Tepper and a Schwartzman. Robert Frank, uh, <laughs> thanks. And thank you, Julia Borson and Kate Rooney. That's rapid fire. Coming up, both cybersecurity and cloud stocks have had a rough go of it, falling double digits since February. But some on the street are saying to buy those dips. We will reveal the names next. It has been a stormy month for cloud stocks. And after posting two straight days of gains, they're lower again today. But some on the street seeing rainbows. Josh Lipton joins me now with the names that could be poised for a turnaround. Josh. So, John, let's start with those cloud stocks on track here for their eighth day of losses in the last 10 sessions and down more than 15 percent over the past three months. Remember, in 2020, this ETF, the CLOU, surged nearly 80 percent. But now investors book in profit. Pat Walravens over at JMP tells me 10 of his cloud net companies recently reporting results and not one disappointed. Five, actually, he says, reported acceleration in their businesses, but only one traded up on that news, Datadog. Still, Pat continues to see opportunity in this sector. He likes Snowflake, Workday, C3.ai, and Asana, as well, he says, Twilio. Now, that name is on track for its worst month here since March 2020. But Pat is a fan of CEO Jeff Lawson, who is attacking, we know, a big market with communications, accounting for about one-third of total IT spend. I also did catch up with Rob Owens over at Piper, who covers the cybersecurity sector. The hack, the ETF that tracks these names, is now down about 10% over the last three months. Of course, that vastly underperforms tech and the broader market. But Rob is telling his clients that there's opportunity here to commit capital. His top buys right now, he tells me, Palo Alto Networks, Rapid7, and CrowdStrike, the leader in endpoint protection, meaning protecting our PCs, servers, and cloud workloads. Demand for CrowdStrike's technology, Rob is betting, will only increase from here, due in part, he says, to the very kinds of ransomware attacks we just saw on the Colonial Pipeline. John, back to you. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. I mean, if, if you were into these narratives, look, if you liked Snowflake at 390 back in December, I guess you should love it at 190 now. So uh, I guess pick through those names. Josh Lipton, thank you. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll, to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.